Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that you've called us together that um, we're able to worship you by me putting in work in prayer and time with you along with your spirit and your word to say what is it that you have for us from your word and then to present it. And then the congregation to do the work of listening to press out other thoughts and things, to be able to parent in the pews, to be able to show our children that this is important, what we hear, to know that even small children can hear by your spirit. It be surprising over the years as the gospel has done its work in the youngest of ears as well as the oldest of ears. We pray for it to work in the hardest of hearts. And that for those who are attuning our hearts to sing your praise, that we would hear, be conformed more into the image of Christ, the gospel would go forth, and that you would have us leave from here more like Jesus Christ. And we pray your illumination, your unction upon the preached word this morning. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I chose... Well, let's read uh, Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of her, of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silver, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. That is, human soul, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. 
and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. All the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for her, for you against her. Then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeteers will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For the merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on earth. And I have to go to one more verse here. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Alleluia! which means all praise to Yahweh. So I chose today's sermon title, it's an R.E.M. song you may be familiar with, um, called The End of the World As They Know It. That's great. Starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and airplanes. It's the end of the world as we know it. Not your fine. Refrain. It's the end of the world as I know it, as we know it, and I feel fine. And so you have to ask ourselves, with the world having such a pull on us, as we look around today and we see a lot of fear and anger, if the world were to end, how would we feel about it? The world as we know it. If the great city, Babylon, fell, would we be with the kings and the merchants of the land and the seamen? Would we be out there too weeping over all we've lost? Weeping because we were getting rich off this thing. We were getting great luxury from this thing. We were finding our peace and comfort in this thing. Or would we be as those who are viewing from heaven, would we be rejoicing? Hallelujah! It's done. Now the tricky part is determining which aspect of our world and culture is Babylon, and which parts are, are good. The, the, the working of the kingdom of God as salt and light in the world. How are we to judge 
and it depends on your perspective. But God's perspective is the same all over the world, whether you're in a rich place like us or a very impoverished place with many other places in the world. You know, it's one of the things flying in from Haiti after just being there a week and flying in just about nighttime into you know, the Queen City of Charlotte. And you just look magnificent in its splendor and beauty and radiance. And my first thought, <laughs> my first thought as I came in and I saw that was Poor of Babylon. That was my first thought. I was like, oh, goodness, there it is. And I was, you know, very judgmental of me as I quickly acclimated to become a part of it again and enjoy the splendor of it. There was a, a missionary that visited seminary one time from uh, somewhere in one of the African countries. And he said that um, he was, that the United States had years ago sent missionaries to his country and saved his family. And they formed churches. And now they look to the United States and they're repaying the favor and are coming back to save us, to preach the gospel to us that we seem to have forgotten. So he says, I'm here to present the gospel. He says, I, I, I come from a place where people, you know, they're praying for provision, God's hand. And he says, I come here and I see God's splendor. I see God's provision. I see beauty and opulence. I see this. And so what must these people be praying? And he says, and what I hear, the people here praying for is God's hand, God's blessing. He says, you've got that. <laughs> Pray for his face. Pray for his face to shine on you. And you'll know how do you live in a place like this. You have to learn how to live in, Paul addresses this, how do I live in poverty and not, you know, you, you're going around a poor country and you're preaching the gospel, you know, especially Haiti, dirt poor. And you preach the gospel. And then you wonder, are they just coming to the gospel for the stuff they can get? And you look at it, it's like, well, they give up everything they have sometimes. Burn it, literally. In the, in the yard. All that they have. Their means of income. Gone. Forsaking it for the cause of Christ. And you come here. You see the same thing. Are they just coming to the gospel to the church for the stuff they can get? It's like, I don't know, it seems so. What are we burning? What are we getting rid of? What are we... It's very difficult once you have risen to a certain level of affluence, a certain level of care, a certain level of provision to have, you know, that kind of taken away and now you flip down to here. You know, it's like I thought about it, it, surely everyone in here has rich relatives. You may well be that rich relative, I don't know. But you have rich relatives and you go and you go to their house or you have rich friends and you go to their house and it's just like, wow. You know, and it's a saying that we've heard from somewhere, I guess, I don't know. It's like, oh, your poor is showing. <laughs> you know, you just feel like the church I, we were at in, in Manning had I was talking to the pastor and I said, you know, there's a lot of, you know, why don't more poor people come here? I think was my question. You know, I was young and inexperienced with stuff like I am. And it's like, and I'm saying, it's like, you're there. And I know I can pick on you because you love me. And so I was standing in there. I was like, why don't we have more, pe more poor people in this church? 
And the pastor said to me, he said, see that rug you're standing on? I said, yeah. He said, that rug costs more than some people's houses, possibly. And I was like, that rug? He said, yeah. He said, for some reason, you don't even notice it. He said, but there's other people, when they come into this church, all they see is opulence. And they don't live in that world. And it's very difficult for them to cross over. You know, it's like watching The Wizard of Oz, and all of a sudden, you know, it's pitching and green, you know, and it's difficult. But there's always somebody else, you know, but to what may be, you know, we're currently concerned about how our church looks, you know, becoming a little dilapidated. I like that word. But, you know, it could be because we don't care about it enough. It could be because we care about, well, it's because we care about other things more. But are the things that we care about more uh, better things or, or worse things? So we have to think about this. We, we want the church to look good. We want to take care of our surroundings. We want to, I mean, when we go to Haiti, those places are as nice as they can get them to look with what they have. And that's kind of what we should do, too. We've got to be careful of that because we can make this place look a little too nice. You know, there's places we spend, there's, there's some churches, I'm not, anyway, we could spend millions of dollars if we were to get it on sound systems and lights and buildings and stuff like that, but then you have to ask yourself, why? And that's what we have to be asking ourselves this whole time. In your house, where you live, and I'm not meddling, you know, but it depends on whose house you go to as to how much money they've spent on that house. Well, then that's in proportion to how much money they're making, which is in proportion to what they care about. Maybe they don't care. You don't know. What we have to think about is, in my heart, am I in Babylon or am I living in the city of God? And he says, the Lord says, if we have food, clothing, and shelter with that, we should be content. He doesn't say that you can't have nice things. He doesn't say that you can't make money. He doesn't say these things. That if your heart is there, he says, come out. You can be very poor and be very prideful about your poorness. You can be very rich and prideful. You can be poor and ashamed. You can be rich and ashamed. You can, all of these things, it's what's in you that makes a difference. There's a Kenny Crosswhite had this thing. I'm sure he didn't make it up, but it's a, the idea of, you know, what are you, if you're, what comes out of you when you're stepped on? You step on a ketchup packet, ketchup comes out. You step on a mustard packet, mustard comes out. What comes out of you when you're stepped on? And that can show you where you live. Are you living in Babylon where it's fleshly, it's worldly, it's about securing self comfort, self-identification, securing whatever identity in the world and how it says to do it. Or am I really, do I live in the city of God? What does God say about these things? How does he say I should live? You know, because a lot of people are quick to show out, you know, the, it's very difficult to seek the plank that's in your eye when you're busy trying to get the specks off somebody else's eye. I say it's men is rubbing his eyes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I started on it before you started doing it. But yeah, it's hard to, to see. So we have to have the Holy Spirit. Like, show. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. Sometimes we need to be harder on ourselves. It's hard to know. And that's why you need loving Christians around you who are able to talk and commune and pray and seek God's word and these things. Gas prices are going up. Anybody notice gas prices are going up? You know, and then I have friends who live in California, and they're like mock us for you know, it's only four dollars, it's six something here. You know, so you know, is it going to go up more 
likely, you know, so invest in gas while you can, and food prices are up, anxiety levels are up, there's conflict in the world, there's fear, so you have to be careful, because this is where Satan dwells. This is how he seeks someone that he can devour in our anxieties and fears. Jesus says, cast your anxiety on me because I care for you. Jesus says, fear not, for I am with you. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you and seek not revenge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All these things. So beware. Satan seeks to use our sinful attitudes and natures to his devices. The Bible speaks of it. Some people in the church, believers, have fallen into a snare. The love of money is one of these things. It's other things. But captured by Satan to do his will. That can be a Christian. And people are always worried, can Christians be um, possessed by demons? And it's like, well, you can certainly be possessed by a demonic ideology. You can be possessed by demonic ideas. You can be possessed by all of these things. So what's worse? I mean, it's probably better to have something living in you, compelling you to do stuff, than having the Holy Spirit within you and you just ignore it and suppress it and, and go after the things of the world so much, the allurements of the world and all of these things, so that you grieve the Holy Spirit. So that the prayer needs to be, oh Lord God, <laughs> discipline this person. Do something. Don't let that person, don't let that ransom sinner die. Don't do something. And so typically, you know, there's James Clyburn. Um, who I don't agree with politically. He's got one of the greatest political ads I ever saw. He's got a thing where you know, he says, I'm driving down the road with my father. Uh, there's a tree that has fallen down. And I looked at my dad and I said, somebody needs to move that tree. And he said, well, you're somebody, son. <laughs> so you be careful what you say to his dad. But, you know, you are somebody. What are you going to do about it? What do you see in the world? What do we see the problems are? First, in your own heart, clean up your own house. Get it all, get your own house in order. And then you maybe can see clearly to see what needs to be done elsewhere. So that's what we have to do is say, you know, if we're, we're upset about the world, well, what about our little world? And I get it in order. But if you try to do that on your own power, if you try to do that in order to earn a place in God's standing, if you try to do that to get Him to love you, it all can be manipulated by the world and Satan. It all has to be out of an accurate, proper use of the means of grace that God has given us to say, if you want to be closer to me, here's where you go. Um, Dr. Kelly has a saying, he said, the spirit blows where he will, but he has told us where some of the windy places are. Which made me think of Amy, has that friend, a little girl that was went to turn off the radio in her car, and instead, well, it wasn't a little girl's car, well, you know, in their car, she went to turn up the radio. By accident, she turned up the air conditioning fan or the heater fan, and she said, ooh, this a windy song. <laughs> and so it's like, what songs are we listening to? Windy songs? The spirit-filled songs? Or are we turn it up as the heat of Satan himself coming out into our voice into our ears. You know, we all, growing up, be careful of little ears what you hear. I have entire, I don't know if I can do any more because I don't even want to try to, but I had entire nasty, dirty albums memorized. I could just 
repeat them. This is what everybody was listening to. We had this thing in our youth group one time. It's like, do you listen to the words to the music you're listening to? No, no, I like the music. I just like the beat. I just like the music. It's like, okay, good. And so we played a little game, unrelated to that question, which was finish the line of this hymn. You know, oh Lord my God, how, what? And then it's some secular song that's got some nasty phrase in it, but you take the phrase before that and say, I can't even think of the song. All the something. They would finish all these secular songs. All these secular songs. They knew these secular songs. Because that singing gets into our psyche of soul. The things you sing, the things you read, the things you spend time on are the things that will get in. I mean, it affects your thinking. And if you grow up like me, you're watching James Bond. You do not want somebody dating your daughter who is using James Bond as the idea of how to court women. That's out. Goodness, I was watching some, I was going to watch a Western the other day and uh, as a Clint Eastwood thing. I couldn't, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm obviously getting old or something. It's like, you can't, what are you doing? So I had to stop watching it just because, but these things, they get in there, they get in there, they get in there. And before you know it, it's just, you're not even thinking. And then the harlot Babylon is just, gotcha. But what God says, her sins are piled high. They're reaching to the heavens. I have remembered, I will remember her sins. This is where this remembrance, do this, the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of me. It doesn't mean like, God's going around heaven. He's like, oh, I forgot about all this sin going on. It's like, no, I will now covenantally bring down all these curses on them. That's what this remembrance means. When we come in remembrance of Christ, we're remembering his covenant. We're remembering, we're bringing to the front of our minds and thinking the fact that God has promised that for whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he gives himself to us as a promised covenantal love, chesed. That's that covenanted love. It's a, it's a marital love. It's like you might not have a, a romantic, emotional love all the time for your spouse, but you better have a covenanted, hesed love for your spouse that keeps you from doing things that maybe you feel like saying this or doing that, but you like, no, you have a covenanted, hesed, promised love to the beloved, and you obey that. You follow that. And then feeling following comes. The Lord does this. He loves us covenantally. He loves us because he promised to love us. And that's what we cling to, even when we may not be quite so loving, uh, lovable. He loves us in the beloved. He gives us this to remind us of these things. 1 John chapter 2 says, Do not be in love with the world. Love not the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it's the same message we're seeing in Revelation. Babylon has fallen. Babylon is judged. And we saw that later in Revelation 17.1. 
Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. I'm going to show you the judgment in chapter 17. And then he goes on, and in verse 16, we see it. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her with fire. Burn her up with fire. That's, that's, there it is. And so now in chapter 18, we're going to say, all right, let's go back and look at that. Let's flesh that out a little bit. Let's look a little more in depth, intently, at what is actually happening at this fall of Babylon. So in 18, he sees another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the angel was made bright that the earth was made bright with his glory. So some people are like, well, this must be Jesus. It's like, well, when the angels came down to announce to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, so Jesus wasn't there at the announcement. He was in the manger. But the angels came down and the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. So the glory of the Lord the lit up the earth. And that's what's happening here. This bright, glorious Angel, his glory is lighting the earth. And you're going to see all the, instead of darkness, there's light. Instead of all these things, it's the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Well, we pray, thy kingdom come. And it's here. And he calls out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So it's like, that's past tense. But it's called the prophetic past tense, which means this is about to happen. And so I'm saying it's over. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the Great. Now they're going to cast her down, but it's done. It's assured because God has said this is what is going to happen. And so uh, she's become a place for demons. And then the ESV has this word, a haunt for every clean spirit, a haunt. And so the word is actually the Greek word for prison or a, a, a keep. And the word, I thought about the word haunt at first, and I was like, well, that's word to use there. I know how we use it, but that idea of a haunt is a good is a good word. It's like you you know it's where bad people go and they're like hanging out. It's like a haunt. You know, it's a it's a place where they just stay and they're that's where they have their place. It's like a there's got to be another word for it. It's a place where you go where you know it's like the club where you go to and that's where you hang out all the time. Maybe your hangout, but it's not where you just hang out. It's the dwelling place. A haunt for these. This place. It's a, good, it's a good word. So it's like Babylon has become completely, completely evil. So there is a, a vast differentiation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And he says, kings have committed immorality, merchants of the earth have grown rich, uh, the nations have drunk the wine of her passion. So it's like this Babylon is not any particular one country. When Paul wrote, uh, when John wrote Revelation, he's talking about Rome. Because this is what the city went to the seven churches. Babylon is Rome. But it's not just Rome. It's any country, any group of countries, any place that has become a halt for demons and, and just doing evil that's opposed to the things of God. But he is saying it has fallen. And in verse 4, here's another voice from heaven saying, this is another angel, most likely, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So we're told to come out. 
That's what 1 John says, come out. Other passages in the Bible, come out. Now, he's not talking about figure out which city today is Babylon and come out and move somewhere else. Where are you going to go? He wasn't telling the Christians of that day, leave Rome. He was saying, you get out of Babylon. Get your head out of Rome. Get your heart out of everything that these Romans are living for. Don't worship the emperor. Don't, don't do things to get along, or to go along to get along. Don't worship, pay homage, altar incense, go to these God feasts where you're worshiping the particular gods, the particular working guilds, that say the things you have to say so that you don't get canceled. Do these things, say these things, so that, and then what are churches thinking? Well, some churches, as we see in the book of Revelation, did what it took to get along with the world. So far that they became more like the world than even the world. Some of them were being persecuted so much that one guy had been killed. Persecuted. Some of them could no longer buy, sell, or trade because they wouldn't receive the mark of the beast. They would not go along to get along. They decided that the reproaches of Christ were to be more desired than the riches of Rome. And so it may be we have to make these same decisions. We do make these same decisions in Rome. Uh, microeconomies all the time, but what might happen as it gets bigger, if it does? Where's your heart? What are, what are we willing to do in order to maintain our levels of whatever it is that we're, we're living by these days? In verse 3, the kings and merchants of the earth have given themselves over. They say, well, what about us? We are relatively rich in this world, certainly richer than many kings of past ages. And if not in money, then in goods and services that we're able to have. And how are we not to love this world? How are we not to be enamored by the things, the things and ease? We've had supply chain, supply chain disruptions. We have a global supply chain. <laughs> how about that? It can be disrupted. You know, look at what's happening in, in, the, in, in Russia in different places. It's like, you know, they're cutting off, well, I, don't know, I think like Visa, MasterCard, different, whatever banks have said like, if, 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 if we're not going to service, cutting them off. You know, and there's an example of people not being able to buy, sell, or trade unless they do whatever it is that this other power has said do. If it can, look how easily it can be done. It can be done very easy. We're called to come out. They were being told to flee her idolatry, not to take part in emperor worship, to not be in love with the luxurious living that Rome was providing. Because what Rome can give, Rome can take away. Whose name's on the front of our money? It's not Caesar's. It's the United States of America. Federal Reserve note. And on the back, in God we trust. We have to be careful that we aren't carrying around our wallets, you know, um, taking his name in vain. Or, as one comedian pointed out, it's like, is that dollar your guide? In this God we trust. 
We have to be careful. Do we trust in God, that dollar? What are we trusting in? So we're told to come out. Don't share in Babylon sins and plague. Number four, out of voice, saying come out. And that's what we're to do. Look at back at Revelation chapter 14. Now look, behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth was no lie was found, for they are blameless. They have not followed this harlot. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And she said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because of the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of her passion and of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast. Now this is what they're talking about here. Come out of her. Don't worship the beast in his image or receive the mark on his forehead or hand. Again, this mark is not one particular thing that's going to be asked of you to put on your body. It is worship of Satan through these things. You are either marked by God, the 144,000 is name on your forehead, or you have the mark of the beast. There's no other two ways. And what the beast, demonically inspired government, the world powers that at some point become more and more enamored with, that at some times have greater power over the world than at other times, when that decides that certain people can live and certain people will die, certain people can eat, certain people can be free, it will depend on who's in control and whose mark do you have. And he, God is saying, he is the ultimate judge. Verse 10, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, those who have the mark of the beast, poured full strength into his cup of anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, the worshippers of the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labor, for their deeds follow them. So we see the way that we come out of Babylon is by faith in Jesus Christ. And keeping his commandments. What does that mean? Faith and work. The commandments of God are love the Lord thy God, thy heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor yourself. And then what we know through faith in Jesus Christ is he has kept the law perfectly for us. He has died in our place. He has paid the penalty for our sin. Where we fall short, he has risen to great heights. He died in our place so that we might live. Keeping his commandments means going into all the world proclaiming the gospel. 
loving him, we will fall short. And that's where faith in Christ comes in. That we know that no matter how we sin, we are loved and he will bring us back. So that when we see, for example, in verse 8 of Revelation 18, pay her back as she's paid back others. Repay her double for her sins. Make the double portion. Well, that, that doesn't mean I'm going to pay her twice more than she deserves. It's a Hebrew idiom. It's a way of speech that means it's exact measure. It's like looking in the mirror. So what she deserves is what she'll get. That's the double aspect. That it doesn't carry over well in our language. So give her, she will get exactly what she deserves so that we're to come out. Verse 9 is this lament from the kings of the earth. Verse 11 and following through verse 17, the longer lament from the merchants of the earth, weeping and mourning. And then beginning in the second half of 17 uh, through verse 20 is the, the sea masters, the voyagers who sailing, making their money on the, the sea. It's all on land and sea. Everybody's making money through worshiping. Babylon, and much more time is spent on them than on kings. And it's probably because the people in the churches would relate more to being merchants than they would to being kings. And so he's saying to the seven churches, come out of that. Don't worship this system so that you can be at peace. Don't worship this system so that you can have comfort. We have to know from where our peace comes. So that the difference is, rather than this lamenting, this mourning, this weeping, you see the system falling. I mean, I don't know. The system today could be as simple as, you know, the internet is gone. And I'm not saying that that changes. It's gone. Now what happens? Wow. Let's just... <laughs> How much cash you have on you? I don't know. You know, what happens when that system falls? And then there's a new system that builds up. You know, what are you willing to do now to provide? What are you willing to do now? You know, you've seen all these apocalyptic movies. You know, I was reading um, Albert Speer's book, The, the Meaning of Perfect Life, something. Anyway, he was a uh, psychologist that was in uh, yeah, the Soviet gulag system and uh, he said... You did what you did to survive, and it wasn't good. And he said, I fear the best of us did not survive. Because those who are willing to give somebody, you go ahead of me, they, they didn't make it. Those who are willing to share what they had, they didn't make it. Those who, and he wasn't condemning everybody that survived the Holocaust. He's talking from an inside perspective of psychological you know, dealing with something that's so bad. And so what we have to look at in our personal lives are what are we willing to do to get ahead? What are we willing to do to preserve the relative peace and comfort that we have? And we have to be careful with that. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding. So what we're called to do is to be the church. And we see it in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Nobody's rejoicing over the fall of Babylon. Heaven is. You saints, apostles, and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. You see in verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who had been slain in her. 
It's contrary to God. So we have to be careful. Because you could decide to tear up this world system and put a different world system in its place. That's what communism desires. (laughs) The problem is the system. If the problem's the system, then let's keep tweaking that system. Sooner or later, everybody's going to be happy and get along together. But you all know this. I don't care what system you're in. We're going to mess it up. Give everybody... What's that song? And I'll close with this. Give a man free food, and he'll figure out a way to steal more than he can eat because he doesn't have to pay. That's a good line. Give a man free food, and he'll figure out a way to steal more than he can eat because he doesn't have to pay. So, not that all poor people are bad. Give rich people, it's the heart. Human heart. Human heart is a problem. What's the solution? You can't do nothing about the human heart. Yes, you can. Jesus Christ. The gospel. The answer is the gospel. You can remove somebody from their situation, this situation, that situation. This is what the same thing is the heart. You change the heart, everything lights up. It makes change. But I remember one of my things of coming to pastor was I was teaching taekwondo classes. I was doing other things. I had things working with children and adults and stuff. And I thought one day, I thought, I'm just, I'm just creating people up for hell. They may be becoming better people, but they're still headed to hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what we do in the midst of darkness. Preach it, live it, love it. That's the solution. One day we'll die. We may be persecuted. We may be tortured. We may be put to death. We may live a long, long time and die in natural death with friends and family surrounding us. Who knows? But in whatever situation, praise the Lord. In whatever situation, praise the Lord. Proclaim His name. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your light. Thank you. Forgive us for us having this great treasure in jars of clay and we don't even seek to show it. Help us to, to be proclaimers of life and light. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just seeking to change systems, but to change hearts. Help us to come out of Babylon. Help us to make this city a shining city on the hill. Help us to seek the good of where we live. Help us to be wise. Help us to love you. Help us to love our neighbor. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.